Today on Something You Should Know, you know what to do when you get a cold, right? Well, maybe not everything. I've got a few ways to feel better you probably haven't heard. Then, being neat and tidy may seem the better way to go, but sometimes messiness is even better. As I said, I'm a tidy person. I like things tidy. I like things organized when they can be. But very often, they can't be. And if we can embrace that disorder, we can actually find it's turning to our advantage. Then, have you ever wondered why you get a runny nose every time you cry? I'll explain. And some great household hacks I know you'll love. Oh, this is a fun one. If you have the glass shower doors that get the nasty soap scum buildup, a dryer sheet can be used to scrub those glass shower doors. It works like a charm. All this today on Something You Should Know. Something You Should Know. Fascinating intel. The world's top experts. And practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. I'm not sure if this is uh, true where you live, but where I live, it seems like everybody has a cold right now. I, ha- I have a cold right now, and I- I've had two colds right in a row, which I've never had before. I had one at the end of November, early December. It came, it went, and then I got another one. So if you have a cold, you have plenty of good company. And WebMD has some things you should do when you have a cold that you might not have heard before that can really help until somebody comes up with a cure. First is to use one of those nasal strips, you know, those Breathe Right nasal strips. You will be amazed how they can open up your nose so you can breathe. Also, take a hot shower before you go to bed because the steam and the humidity will help clear out your sinuses. I'm sure you've heard that chicken soup is good. Research shows that eating hot chicken soup is more effective than sipping hot water to clear out your sinuses, although nobody really knows why. Here's one I bet you don't know. You should avoid cold drinks before bed because cold drinks can increase stuffiness. Use a a saline nasal rinse to clear out your nose, you know, like a, a neti pot or something. I've gotten into using those when I've had a cold uh, in the last few years, and and they really are effective. Also, be careful of over-the-counter nasal sprays. They have a rebound effect, and if you use them too much, you can actually get addicted to them. And it actually happened to me many years ago. I, I, (laughs) I was a nasal spray addict, and it was hard to kick. And finally, uh, don't prop your head up with pillows because that causes an unnatural bend in the neck and it makes it harder to breathe. It's better to use a wedge-shaped pillow that elevates you from the waist up. And that is something you should know. Ask anybody which is better, to be neat or to be messy. And my guess is most people will say it is better to be neat. Neatness counts in our culture. A neat house, a neat desk, a neat room are all preferred. When people are messy, they're often admonished to be neater. But when people are neat, no one ever says, you know, (laughs) you should be more messy. But could messiness be better for some people and in some situations? Can you make the case for messiness? Actually, and perhaps surprisingly, yes, And here to make that case is Tim Harford. Tim is an award-winning journalist, economist, 
and author of quite a few books, including Messy, The Power of Disorder to Transform Our Lives. Hey, Tim, welcome. It's great to be with you. So here's my take on messiness, because I've heard people talk about this subject on this program in, in, in the radio show I did for many years, uh, and I've heard both sides of the argument. And it seems to come down, from my observation, to this, that neat people think neat is better, and messy people think messy is better, and that whatever works, works. It's really, it's personal preference. I think that's fair, although I think something I've learned while writing the book is that messy also works in certain situations. I mean, I I should admit, uh, I I violate your basic uh, pattern. I am a tidy person who has written a book trying to persuade us to be more messy. For example, my kitchen is is pretty much always tidy, or as tidy as it can be with three children in the house. But my um, study desk, uh, sometimes it's tidy, but often it it gets messy, and then I kind of struggle with that, and I I try and tidy it up, and it it won't be tidied up, and and I'm 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 been asking myself, well, what's going on? And I and I've come to realise um, that a different approach works for different situations. And the the thing about the kitchen, for example, is you know, everything has a place. And if I want to be tidy, there's a place for the knives, there's a place for the glassware, there's a a place for the cutlery. I can put everything away, and I often do. But it's not so simple with the desk. I mean, yeah, sure, I can can have a place for the, the sticky tape, and I can have a place for the pens. But you know what? What's the place for you know the the latest letter, the emails? You don't want to read right now, but you need you need to deal with them later. And I, the the thing about the desk is it's in constant motion. Right. And if you try to tidy it up, um, that can actually have counterproductive effects. Well, that you and I are very much alike because because things that are easy to keep neat are kept neat. But as you say, you know, life isn't always so neat as that kitchen. So I'm pretty neat, but then I also have a messy desk often as well. So, but, but my preference would be that things were neat. It's just not always the reality. Yeah. Well, you and me and Benjamin Franklin as well. I mean, Benjamin Franklin is a wonderful example of this. So, um, the man needs no introduction, right? One of the greatest Americans who ever lived. And you may be aware um, that he had this thing called the, his virtue journal. I mean, it's, I think it's 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 your kind of thing, you know, uh, self improvement. Benjamin Franklin, as a young man, decided he was going to just make himself better in every way. He was going to drink less, and he was going to um, flirt less, and he was going to be more humble, and all of these different things he was going to do to improve his life. And he he kept a, a track of every day had he had he lived up to his principles every week had he lived up to his principles and reflecting back on this at the end of his life and he's in his 80s if i remember rightly he he's very proud of this virtue journal he thinks it's worked really well but he says you know there's one thing that i could just never conquer i could never get on top of this and that was orderliness his principle was every Appointment should go in the right place in the diary. Everything should go in the right place in the study. And he could just never conquer it. And, and who knows what he might have been able to achieve if he'd managed to tidy up, eh? Yeah, I've thought the same thing. Like, you know, when I'm filing bills, for example, 
and I pay the auto insurance bill. Well, does that get filed under auto or does that get filed under insurance? I mean, life isn't always so neat and obvious. It is really crazy like that. So sometimes you organize things, well, this comes from my boss, this comes from my spouse. Other times it's, well, this is really urgent. Now, other times is, oh, well, this is the kind of thing I want to be reminded of later. I mean, and, and actually, there's no right or wrong way to organize any of this stuff. But if we, if we try to get it organized, it, it can often be self-defeating. One, one of the concepts I loved while working on this book was um, the concept of premature filing which I was told about by a psychologist called Steve Whitaker, who who studies basically the way we, we organize stuff, the way we organize digital photos, the way we organize email, the way we organize our desks. And premature filing is a beautiful idea. So this is the idea that you, some people, because they want to be tidy, something comes into their life. It's a letter, it's an email, it's a task, it's a book. And they want it off their desk. And so they, they put it somewhere. They create a digital folder and they put it in the digital folder or um, it's an, an, an email folder or it's a, it's a physical folder or they, they put it away on a shelf somewhere. But they haven't really understood what it is really or what they're going to do with it, whether it's the beginning of something big or whether it's just junk. And these things are hard to understand initially. And as a result, the filing takes place too early. And then you've, you've basically put a label on something or you've put it in a file and then you don't know where it is and you're not reminded of it. Um, and the whole thing just gets really quite gnarly quite quickly. On the other hand, if you're a little bit less concerned, a little bit less stressed about being tidy and you just leave the emails hanging around for a bit or you, you pile up the paper on your desk, um, give it a little while. And you start to figure out what you actually do need to do with it um, and whether it needs to be filed at all or whether you can just file it in the, the big round filing cabinet uh, underneath your desk, the trash can. Um, and so people who are willing to tolerate a little bit more mess actually in the end end up paradoxically often being better organized and more effective. They have smaller archives. They know where their stuff is. They make decisions more quickly. And I thought this was a really interesting point because Whitaker wasn't approaching this from some great philosophical tradition. He was just saying, well, I, I just carefully look at what people do and what the effects are and premature filing is a, is a real problem. I'm speaking with Tim Harford. He is a journalist, economist, and author of the book Messy, The Power of Disorder to Transform Our Lives. You know that reaction you get when you come across a business that doesn't have a website? You think, wow, wow, that's weird because every business needs a website today. More importantly, every business needs a great website. And that's why I'm so excited that Squarespace is now a sponsor of something you should know. If you need a website or a better website, you really need to check out Squarespace. You will create a beautiful website quickly and easily. They've got beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Plus, you get all the tools you need to sell your products and creations online. Plus, the ability to customize everything, the look, the feel, the settings. You can do all of that with just a few clicks. And their 24-7 award-winning customer service is superb. I think, frankly, I have one of the best Squarespace stories there is because we use Squarespace to create a website for an upcoming podcast we're working on. 
And we were prepared to work on this for weeks, and it was literally done, the whole website, done in a few hours. Head over to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SOMETHING to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, and use the offer code SOMETHING. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know is all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. So, Tim, you were talking a moment ago about premature filing and that that can be a problem because you end up filing something away where it ultimately doesn't belong. And yeah, okay, maybe that's a problem for messy people, but I would contend that maybe that's not such a problem for neat people that neat people put things in a place, perhaps prematurely, but they know right where it is, and if it's time to get it and move it, that they get it and move it. And to not put things in their place because you're waiting to figure out where it ultimately goes, so to just leave it laying on the desk somewhere, causes those people a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and so therefore premature filing is just fine. I think the most important point is that the world is messy. Our lives are messy. Conversations are messy. Our relationships are messy. Creativity is messy. Basically, we are surrounded by disorderliness everywhere. And and by, by mess, I mean um, stuff that can't be scripted, stuff that can't easily be put into categories, stuff that piles up, stuff that's ambiguous, um, stuff that gets made up on the spot. Or, or I mean, it means the word means a lot of different things. and be, But because our lives effectively are often very messy, um, we need to embrace that, deal with it, face up to it, and try to make the most out of it. And um, when we try to impose structure and tidiness in a situation where it doesn't fit, we just end up hiding the mess um, or dealing with the mess in a very counterproductive way. Now, I mean, as I said at the, be- the beginning of our conversation, I'm a tidy person. I like things tidy. I like things organized when they can be. Um, And sometimes they can be, and that's great. But very often, um, they can't be. And if we can embrace that disorder, we can actually find it turning to our advantage. I mean, let me give you a couple of very quick examples, which I'm I'm happy to talk about at more length. So the, the example I begin the book with is the amazing jazz musician Keith Jarrett, who shows up at a concert to discover, and it's the biggest concert of his life, and he discovers that there's been a mix-up, and the piano he's supposed to be playing doesn't really work. There are bits of it are out of tune, bits of it sound bad, bits of it are sticking, the pedals aren't really working, and he ends up 
playing, even though he doesn't really want to play, and producing one of his best pieces of music and certainly his most commercially successful recording because he, in the end, he embraces the disorder. And there are interesting things we could say about why the disorder worked for him. And another example, um, we'll, I mean, people are going to have very strong feelings about this example, is Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump, and when I wrote the book, he was just a candidate. He wasn't the president. But I wrote about his campaign as being one where he was able to create a lot of chaos deliberately as a strategy um, to dominate the media cycle and to wrongfoot his opponents, people like Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush. He was able to use mess as a way of winning um, this battle for attention. So lots of different ways in which mess can be made effective. Here, here's an example that, that I heard a long time ago that, that struck me. It's a little different than the ones you just mentioned, but it was a, a doctor who, who was a, a medical examiner, and he wrote a book about why we die, and he said that this whole idea of death with dignity and, and trying to sanitize death Death is messy business. And, you know, in the old days, people would die at home and the grandkids would see grandpa die on the couch and, and it was messy and horrible, but it, it was part of life. And today, we've cleaned it up. We've tried to create this death with dignity and make it all clean and pristine. And it isn't. It, and it never will be. Death is ugly, messy business. Yeah, I think that's a very wise comment. I, I don't want to glorify mess and disorder everywhere. I mean, it's great, for example, that um, our computer operating systems are compatible with each other, right? And it's great that you know you can plug a uh, a plug into a, a wall socket, and you know it's got the right voltage and it's going to fit, and it's not just a you know a couple of pieces of wire just improvised. I mean, there are certain there are many many examples where structure works and where order works and where tidiness works. But the argument I make is that, you know, I don't need to convince anybody that that stuff's good, but I do need to try to convince people that sometimes they need to let go and sometimes they need to embrace these more ambiguous or more un unpredictable, uh, more disorderly situations. So what is the, when the dust settles from all this, what is the advice here, do you think? It, it, because there are, there are those people, I mean, I've already expressed that I, I think I'm somewhat like you. I like it neat, but life isn't always neat, so sometimes things get messy. But, you know, I'm in this studio a lot doing this program. When it's cleaned up and neat, I do better work. I just do. But it isn't always easy to get it always neat. So, so it seems that some people seem to do better work, and we've heard other stories about, you know, uh, that when things are messy, anxiety and stress levels go up and, and that when things are neat, that, you know, stress levels go down, people lose weight. So there's a lot of conflicting and th there's different ideas going on here. So, so where do you come on all of yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could say in, in some ways it's a, it's a messy idea. It's a messy book. Um, I, I should, before I give you the practical advice, I should say, by the way, there is a, an interesting causal question, though, because you're saying, oh, you know, when you tidy up, stress levels go down, you seem to get more done. Well, yeah, maybe, but maybe the alternative view of that is when you're getting stuff done and your stress levels are low, that's the moment when you get to tidy up. When you're really busy, when everything's going crazy um, and you start to get really stressed, that's also the moment when you you can't 
spare the time to tidy up and things start to get messy. I often find to myself that, yeah, when I'm able to tidy up, I feel very calm, but that's usually because nothing's really going on. I don't have anything important to do and that's why I've got the time to tidy up. So, you know, we need, need to be careful about what's causing what. Maybe, but so, but, uh, but I think, yeah. but I do think that, that when things are neat, I, I do feel less stress. When things are put away, it means that's something I don't have to do and things are less stressful. But I hear what you're saying, that maybe it's, maybe it's less stressful because I've got the time and there's nothing really pressing. Sure. So, um, so what's the practical advice? If we're talking about um, just trying to get things done, uh, my advice would be to improvise more, to rely less on the script. There's a chapter in the book about Martin Luther King and how much more he uh, was able to communicate and get his points across at, at just at the moment where he was forced to step away from the script for want of time, when the press of the civil rights movement was, was so great, his duties were so great, he was no longer able to script his speeches, they got better. So trying to improvise, make stuff up on the fly, see what happens. And if the advice is simply, um, you know, what do you do with your diary? What do you do with your to-do list? What do you do with your desk? Um, go easy on yourself. Be forgiving of yourself. It's fine to try to get some structure. I like structure in my life. Um, but you have to recognize there are certain things that can't be structured easily. And this is Benjamin Franklin's problem. Like He was beating himself up for 60 years about not being able to tidy up. You know, forgive yourself. Acknowledge that the email, to-do lists, desks, this is, an, this is always going to be an unsolved problem. It is always going to be a work in progress. And you're always going to have to explore different approaches and, and not be too down on yourself, as Benjamin Franklin was, when actually the mess starts to build up. Last question. But when is messy too messy? When, when does it get too, too bad? And we've all seen pictures of those kind of desks where just everything is everywhere. At some point, it has to come, become dysfunctional. I, I think that's right. Um, you do see incredibly dysfunctional spaces. What I would say is most people err on the side of trying to tidy up too much. Uh, and I would encourage people to just let go a little bit, be a little bit more messy with your, with your inbox, with your digital files, with your desk and see how that works for you. So keep it simple. That is the way that you're going to deal with this constant influx of, of confusing information. If you try to over-organize, over-structure, tidy too much, tidy too soon, if it works for you, great, but most people find their systems just break down under the strain and they get frustrated. Well, it's, it's good to hear because I think, I know for me, and I, I think this applies to a lot of people, that I try to be neat, and when it does break down under the pressure, when things don't go where they should go because there's no place for them, I, I figure it's my fault. And it's nice to kind of get permission to say, no, it's just life is that way, and so don't try to put a square peg in a round hole. It's just, it's, it's not going to work. Tim Harford has been my guest. He is author of the book Messy, The Power of Disorder, to transform our lives, and you'll find a link to his book in the show notes. Thank you, Tim. Thanks a lot. Great to talk to you. Whether you're a man or a woman, young or old, 
there will be a time in your near future when you're going to have to clean up something. Because life gets messy, and nobody knows better how to keep things clean than Jolie Kerr. Jolie writes a cleaning advice column. She has a podcast called Ask a Clean Person, and she is author of a book called <laughs> My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag. Hi, Jolie. So, so how, how did you get to be this cleaning guru? I was always a clean person, even as a child. I was kind of an odd child, and I'm definitely an odd adult. Um, and I just really love cleaning. It's just a, a thing that I've always been into, oddly enough. That's very weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, uh, compared to a lot of the other people who write about and give advice about cleaning, I mean, you you love this topic. I mean, it does seem a little weird. Anyway. <laughs> you might be right about that. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've actually never thought about that. I mean, I'll tell you that I am a pretty joyful person in general, and I think that bringing um, a positive, upbeat attitude and lots of laughter to almost any situation um, is a very great thing to do. Um, I just think it makes life better. Okay. So, yeah, that's the way I look at cleaning. So let's get into some nuts and bolts here and have you give us some of your favorites or some of the, gee, I never knew that kind of cleaning tips that, that will dazzle people. So, yeah, one, one thing that um, I think people tend to be surprised by is that white vinegar is a magic product that can be used from, for everything from removing mold to as a glass cleaner and an all-purpose cleaner. It's an odor eliminator that can be used in laundry. So it's just an incredibly um, versatile product. It's also really inexpensive and it's non-toxic. So it's, it's basically a perfect cleaning product. Um, and the, the running joke in my column is that the answer is always vinegar. So that's one thing that surprises people. Then I have other weird, weird tips like using food stuff to clean. Um, so tomatoes and ketchup will clean copper, make it bright and shiny, which is kind of a weird one. Um, another thing, you know, when you set a, a glass down and you forget to use a coaster and it leaves that white water ring on your wood table. Um, mixing a little bit of ash, either cigarette or cigar ash, with butter to make a paste will take those white water rings up from wood. So people tend to really like those kinds of weirdo tricks that I have. Yeah, give me some more of those. I love those. A um, couple more. Uh, use a piece of sliced bread to pick up glass. If you've shattered glass on your kitchen floor, say... Grab a piece of sliced bread and just use it to pat that glass right up. Same thing with a cut potato. A cut potato will also pick up glass shards, so that's a nice trick to have. Um, And then I guess sticking with the food theme, um, if you cut a half a grapefruit or a half a lemon and sprinkle it with kosher salt, that can be used to scrub the interior of a bathtub. So the combination of the citric acid and the sort of sloughing power, power of the salt We'll, we'll take soap scum and that kind of stuff up off of, a, off of a tub. Better than cleanser? Better than Comet? I mean, it's different from Comet. It's much, it's much gentle, gentler than Comet. Comet's very harsh. I mean, I love Comet, but I think that um, people can tend to overuse those kinds of harsh 
powder or abrasives. The other thing that's really great about the, the grapefruit or the lemon trick is that it's totally non-toxic. So if you have a household with kids and they're often taking baths, you might be hesitant to use a product like Comet because it can leave a residue that then is still in the tub when, you know, Junior goes in for his nightly bubble bath. Um, so using natural products is a, is a big thing, especially for a lot of parents. Great. Keep going. Um, sure. Oh, this is a fun one. As long as we're on the, the subject of the, the tub and the shower, if you have the shower, glass shower doors that get the nasty soap scum buildup, um, a dryer sheet can be used to scrub those shower, glass shower doors. It works like a charm. I actually just told a reporter who was interviewing me about that, and she emailed two days later and said, oh, my gosh, I tried that, and it worked. I can't even get over how good my bathroom looks right now. So that was always, that's always exciting to hear those, those little tricks. Um, another good one with dryer sheets is to use dryer sheets for dusting. Um, not only will they pick up dust, but they also leave behind a thin coating that will help to repel dust for just a little bit longer. Um, it's not going to prevent the dust, but it's going to extend the life of your dusting effort just a little bit longer, which is a good thing. What about, um, I know it's a, a problem for lots of people, is when you try do your best to finally get out and clean the windows, the streaks, when the sun shines through, they get all streaky. What's your advice? Yeah, well, first of all, don't clean the windows on a sunny day, which I know is frustrating because oftentimes it's that sunny day that makes you realize how dirty your windows got, especially during spring cleaning time. Um, but wait until you have an overcast day um, and clean the windows on an overcast day. The sunshine actually will... will contribute to the streaking. Um, another really good thing to do is to use newspaper um, instead of uh, paper towels um, because the newspaper is lint-free, so it's not going to leave behind any lint on the windows. Um, if you don't like using newspaper because it gets the ink on your fingers, which a lot of people don't like, um, grab a copy of the Wall Street Journal because they spend a little bit of extra money um, on a kind of ink and printing process that doesn't um, leave the ink on your fingers. Oh, great. Yeah, what there, a, there's, there's a weird one for you. Buy the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. What about uh, stuff when it, around the stove and the oven that gets burnt on, you know, like the burners get burnt on stuff and it's like impossible to get off? Oh, I know. It's really a bear, isn't it? Um, a little bit of a cream cleanser or um, a, a powder abrasive like Comet. Comet might be too harsh, um, if you've got glass or enamel um, stovetops. Um, so I would use something a little gentler, maybe something like Bon Ami. Um, and there's a product called Adobe Pad, D-O-B-I-E, that's made by 3M. And it's a sponge that's covered in a kind of special 3M magic netting um, that won't cause scratching, but is an excellent product for um, getting things that are stuck on up off of surfaces. Yeah, I've used those for years. I like those. Yeah, I love those. They're they're great products. What is um you know what, what the the our cleaning lady uses something called um barkeeper's best friend or bartender's best Do you know what barkeeper's that is? Barkeeper's friend. Yeah, absolutely. You what know, is I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you something. It's very similar to Bon Ami, um so it comes in both a cream and a powder um formula. People swear by Barkeeper's friend. They love it for cleaning their stainless steel dish our pots and pans, for cleaning everything in the kitchen, for cleaning the bathroom. 
I have to tell you that I have never had good luck with Barkeeper's Friend, and so I resent it terribly because I am a cleaning expert, and it doesn't work for me, and it makes me feel bad, um, but other people love it. So, yes, I will, I will bite my tongue and right. my teeth and mention it, that it is, it is a pretty good product for most people. So talk about um, automo- the car, you, because they, they, people stain things in the car, and the car smells, and talk about the car. Absolutely. The car is a mess, and we tend to forget about the car being a mess. Um, so there are a couple of different things that happen. One, the staining. Um, what you should use if you have a upholstered, it's really mostly a problem when you've got upholstered seats. Um, a product that's used to clean upholstery, like a foaming upholstery and carpet cleaner, will go a long way in bringing that upholstery back up. It's also going to help with some of the smell issues. Um, also a good idea from time to time to vacuum the car out. Um, you know, you can go to a car wash and use the shop vacuum that they have for rent. If you have your own shop vac or a handheld vac even, um, that's going to make the car look a lot better, vacuuming the, the um the floors and the upholstery and so on. For the smell, you want to use an odor eliminating product. Um, so not something that's going to mask odors like the trees that you hang from the rear view mirror because that's just going to make the car smell like pine and french fry. So instead, it's better to find a product that's an odor eliminator. Activated charcoal is a great odor eliminator. Um, it's actually the product product that's used in most kitty litters to control odor. So if you think of a, a litter box as needing odor control, the same kind of, um, the same kind of product is going to work to control odors in your car. Great. Well, we've talked about some of my favorites. So pick some of your favorites. A couple of my favorites. Um, we'll tell you one that my readers come to me all the time about, um, yellow underarm stains. The thing to know about the yellow underarm stains is that it's caused by two different things. One, the sweat, obviously. Um, We think of those as sweat stains. But actually, the other contributor to that is the deodorant and antiperspirant that we're using. It contains aluminum, and there's a chemical reaction that goes on that creates that yellow stain. Um, What you don't ever want to use on that is bleach, oddly enough. People think, oh, I'll just bleach out my white shirts. No. Bleach is going to make that kind of stain, which is a protein stain, sweat is a protein stain, render more yellow, um, and so you don't want to use it. Instead, what you want to use is something that has an enzyme in it, so an enzymatic-based cleaner. Um, I really like OxyClean, but there are loads of other products out on the market. Um, And the thing is is that once you've gotten into that yellow staining territory, you're going to need to do a little bit of work. So you're going to need to let those products, those stain-removing products, work on the shirt before you launder them. So either by soaking them or by using a spray treatment and letting it sit for 30 or so minutes before laundering. Um, so that's, that's a big one I hear all the time. Do you, do you think that um, good cleaning is, contains an element of preventiveness? I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that the more frequently you, you clean, the easier it's going to be. Um, and the, the less time overall you're going to end up spending, I know that sounds sort of odd to say the more frequently you clean, the less time you'll spend. But if you let things build up, you're going to have to put so much time and work, physical energy. Cleaning is a very physical thing that we do. Um, it's just going to be really exhausting. Whereas if you just kind of stay on top of it and do a little bit every day, every week, um, you don't really, you're not really going to be looking down the barrel at these major, you know, hours-long cleaning tasks. One more. One more tip? Yeah. 
Um, all right, let's talk about blood stains because we all get blood stains. Um, the good news about blood stains is that there are a lot of ways to remove them. So some really common things that, that we see are um, hydrogen peroxide is a go-to, um, and that's also very cheap very readily available. Um, also salt and saline solution. So if you're on the fly in your contact lens wearer and you have saline solution, saline solution will help to remove blood stains. Um, again, just like our pit stains, an enzymatic cleaner is going to be great on blood. Here are two that are really weird. The first is unseasoned meat tenderizer will remove blood stains. You mix it with a little bit of water, rub it onto the stain, wipe it off with a damp rag or a sponge, um, and it'll, it'll take that stain out. The last one um, is kind of so gross, I don't really want people to use it, but it does work, so I'm going to tell people that saliva will take a blood stain out. If, if it's a fresh blood stain, if it's an older one, you should use something like an enzymatic cleaner. But if you've got a fresh blood stain, your own saliva will take that blood stain out. Excellent, excellent. Well, you're now my go-to cleaning expert. Jolie Kerr has been my guest. She is the host of a podcast called Ask a Clean Person. She has an advice column, and she's also author of the book, My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag. (laughs) I love that title. There's a link to her book in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Jolie. When you cry, you almost always get a runny nose. And that can make things even more upsetting and and embarrassing. So what causes that? Why why does your nose run when you're crying? And the short answer is overflow. We all generate tears all the time. They're a mix of oil, mucus, and water that are secreted from different glands and cells around your eye. Tears serve to keep the eyeball surface lubricated. If your eye gets irritated or if you're feeling sad... Tear production ramps up until your eyes fill up and overflow. Each eye can hold about 7 microliters of fluid, according to Penny Asbell, who is an ophthalmologist at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York. When this threshold has been crossed, then the tears start dribbling down your eyes and down your cheeks. Excess tears can also go down the back and flood the drainage ducts that lead to the nasal passages, And then you get a runny nose. And that is something you should know. That's the program today. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.